When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You are listening to the 104th episode of the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week right here on the Hockey Podcast Network, we take a trip back in time and bring you all the hockey news from 50 years ago, exactly as it was written in the words of some of the greatest sports writers of all time. In this episode, we are in the week of October 18th to 24th, 1971. If you like what we do every day on Twitter and here each week on the 50 Years Ago on Hockey podcast, you can subscribe to us by going to patreon.com hockey50years and that helps us with all the expenses that are incidental to putting something like this together. Subscribers not only get early access to each week's free podcast, but you also get a boatload of special content we put out each month where we take a deeper dive and uh, provide greater detail into some of the top stories that were taking place at that time. Uh, it's a great it's a great way to uh, really get into the history of 50 years ago and we think it's well worth the time and the cost to get into it. It's not expensive at all. That's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years to subscribe. Well, 50 years ago, there was a lot of NHL news being made. Uh, we'll just dive right into it right now. The week began with the news that Harold Ballard had been endorsed by Dr. Hugh Smythe, who was Stafford, the late Stafford Smythe's brother, to become the president of Maple Leaf Gardens Limited. And of course, that entails the building and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ballard, assuming the position, uh, a lot of people were claiming that was not yet a sure thing because a board of directors meeting was still to take place to confirm. Now, this was on Monday. Uh, later in the week, there would be developments, and we'll give you those uh, a little later in the show. Late last week, as we told you, uh, Jerry Desjardins, the goalie that the Blackhawks had traded in September to California Golden Seals, went back to the Blackhawks as the Blackhawks and California worked out that trade that had been contested between the two. It's now being said that poor Jerry Desjardins won't be available to play for regular NHL duty until sometime maybe in March. And at that point, 
The Blackhawks will have three NHL-caliber goalkeepers, Gary Smith, Jerry Desjardins, and, of course, the number one guy, Tony Esposito. That will give them a very nice trading chip in either Desjardins or Smith if Desjardins does happen to return to his former level of play, and doctors are very confident that that is exactly what's going to take place. There was a little bit of bad news out of Boston early this week as well. Uh, Goalie Jerry Cheevers has had a sore knee. It's bothered him since training camp. And now Jerry is considering surgery as a treatment option for the wonky joint. For now, he's hoping that some rest and some rehab will do the trick. He really wants to avoid going under the knife, but... He's, you know, willing to do whatever it takes to make sure his career isn't uh, shortened by this thing. And we'll see how this goes. Jerry wasn't sure. The Bruins management wasn't sure. And even Phil Esposito had an opinion and he wasn't sure. Johnny McClellan is a coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs and he proclaims that his best forward so far in this very early part of the 71-72 season has been center Jimmy Harrison. It must be remembered though that the entire Toronto team up to this point was not playing anywhere near expectations. So uh, what we're going to say is check in with us again in December, Johnny. Let us know who your, your best player is and I'll bet it won't be Jim Harrison. Minnesota North Stars coach Jackie Gordon, really popular with the media both at home and on the road. Well, he said this week uh, that although he's been alternating goalie Cesar Maniego and Gump Worsley game by game, that really isn't his plan. Now, he's just got the two. They sent young Gilles Gilbert down to Cleveland of the American Hockey League last week. And by the way, young Gilbert has been standing the AHL on its ear with his spectacular play. But back to the NHL guys, Gordon says he's really planning on going with the goalie who's got the hot hand. But up and now the alternating game situation, uh, that's just the way it's, it's worked out. Gordon takes a goalie's record against a certain team into account when he determines who his starter in the match is going to be on any particular night. So if you've had uh, if you're Cesar Maniego and you've had good luck against the Red Wings, you'll probably be in there against the Red Wings. Tuesday brought us news that the proposed World Hockey Association had been rebuffed by Nassau County Coliseum when they asked for dates in that new rink being built on Long Island, supposed to be ready in April. They want a 40 home dates for the 1972-73 season, and apparently that's been rejected. There are several uh, reports all over the place, and we'll give you the gist of what was going on at that time. The Baby World Hockey Association absorbed a body blow in its attempt to obtain a new arena in Hempstead on Long Island, but retaliated with a surprise disclosure of continuing arena plans within the New York City area. Attorney William Shea, who has been designated to bring big league hockey to the 14,000-seat arena on Long Island, told the Toronto Star he has discouraged WHA attempts to play in the new rink next year. Shea said, we're not bothering with the WHA. We want to have someone there with real stability. We want 
a National Hockey League team. Now, Shea revealed that Roy Bowe, that's B-O-E, the 41-year-old owner of the New York Nets, an American basketball association team, is his choice to operate the proposed Long Island entry in the NHL. He expects Bo to win NHL approval at the league governor's meeting, which will be on October 25th in Homosassa, Florida. And we will have coverage of that, by the way, in next week's show. Uh, Shea said that Bo's application to the NHL is in the works, and I see no reason why he shouldn't be accepted by the big league. The NHL would be damn fools not to let him in. In a letter to Neil Shane, head of the WHA New York group, Shea said, you got Shane, you got Shea. Well, Bill, uh, William Shea said that his anti-World Hockey Association stance was based on the new league's failure to provide financial stability to him. Shea, after whom the Met Stadium is named these days, wants to go with the proven moneymaker, and of course, that would be the National Hockey League. Even if Bo's application falls through, Shane said, he had enough millionaires around to put up money for an NHL franchise in Long Island. Shea said, I can assure you it would be sold out by its second season. Advised of Shea's decision, Neil Shane revealed that if the Nassau Coliseum was unavailable, the new WHA club would wait until 1973 and play in a 12,700 seat rink to be built in Queens, New York, not far from Shea Stadium. But without a New York franchise, can the WHA even get past the first season? Maybe not even get off the ground. So Shane said it appears incredible that the Nassau Arena would not permit a major league WHA team in play in the new building in 1972. Shea said it was amazing since his club had offered a $150,000 guarantee to the Coliseum for the 72-73 season. Shane said his group has offered to comply with all financial requirements laid down by the new arena, but he said he was unable to obtain an application form or a list of requirements from the Nassau Coliseum officials. Stay tuned. There'll be more on this coming up over the next few weeks, and it takes some very interesting turns, I might add. You can add another city that's uh, saying they're looking at a berth in the WHA. The possibility of Sacramento, California, holding a a publicly owned franchise in the WHA uh, is being studied by a developer named George McKeon, who plans to construct a sports arena complex in the Sacramento County. McKeon's 5,400-acre Stone Lake project is the major portion of the 8,145 acres whose owners are seeking annexation to the city of Sacramento. Now, McKeon said that the league is still in formative stages, but he's held talks with them, and he knows that franchises have not formally been awarded, and that the city of Sacramento is definitely going to be under consideration if they can come through with commitment for a big league rink. Well, the Buffalo Sabres don't need this. They're weak on defense, and now they've lost a pair of defensemen from the NHL team. Tracy Pratt and Mike Robitaille both have significant injuries. 
that's going to keep them out of the lineup for probably a few weeks. Well, general manager Punch Imlac is going with a couple of inexperienced guys on the blue line. He's added Francois Lacombe and Chris Evans from the Buffalo Farm Clubs in Cincinnati and Salt Lake City. And we'll see how goalies Roger Crozier and Dave Dryden feel about playing behind uh, guys like that. Actually, Lacombe and Evans have both in the past been considered bona fide NHL prospects. They've just been on the kind of the edge of making it in the big leagues. Evans, I watched playing junior. I always thought he was a good NHL uh, prospect. We'll see if he does it with some regular work in Buffalo. You probably remember what we told you last year about uh, the lifting of the lifetime suspensions to Don Gallagher and Billy Taylor by the National Hockey League. The two were suspended back in the 1940s for gambling. I was alleged that Gallinger actually bet against his own team, the Boston Bruins. I don't believe that was ever proven, by the way. Well, at the time of the announcement that the uh, suspensions had been rescinded, Gallinger was nowhere to be found. Uh, even his relatives claimed that they didn't know of his location. And it, every once in a while, there would be a little piece come up saying, no one's seeing Don Gallinger or wondering where he is or if he's even alive. Well, this week, Don surfaced in Toronto. He was in town visiting friends, and he was also in Port Coburn uh, visiting some relatives there. And he, he told confidants there he was completely aware that the suspension had been lifted. And in fact, he did say, although he didn't outline exactly what's going on, that he did have some viable plans to be involved in hockey once again, and we're glad to see that for Don Gallinger. Roy Edwards is at home in Caledonia, Ontario. You remember he left the Penguins training camp just before the season started. The goalkeeper wanted to go home and consider his future. Well, he told the Penguins this week that he has decided to give the National Hockey League one more try. Roy said, I got to go back and see what happens because that way at least I'm going to be able to say that I tried. Well, here's one that we, we haven't heard too much about. John Ferguson has turned down an offer from Larry Regan, the general manager of the LA Kings, to replace Regan as coach of the Kings. Ferguson had this to say, if I don't play hockey, I don't coach either. It's that simple. Ferguson says he's got too much going on in his private businesses and he doesn't want to leave his family. Ferguson says, it was flattering. I had another offer to coach last year as well. It's nice to know people are thinking about you and you have that kind of respect out there. This is from Tom Fitzgerald of the Boston Globe. The National Hockey League Players Association has filed a protest against the Boston Bruins management for imposing a ban on outside activities of Bruins players. This was confirmed by Alan Eagleson, the executive director of the NHLPA. Uh, he, the uh, Ferguson, or sorry, Fitzgerald called Eagleson in his Toronto office and got the confirmation. Eagleson said it was true. He says, we've mailed the notice of protest to Charles W. Mulcahy in his capacity as chairman of the owners group in the owners players council and not in his capacity as an official of the Bruins. Mulcahy, a Boston attorney, is vice president and general counsel of the Boston Hockey Club. Mulcahy said the letter from the Players Association had not yet reached his office, so he really didn't know 
uh, what Eagleson was saying in there. Uh, Mulcahy said that he'd had a telephone conversation with Eagleson in which the matter was mentioned, but he didn't want to make any other comments until he'd had a chance to study exactly what the wording of the protest was. Eagleson uh, said, Our office took this action at the invest at the instigation of player representatives from two other teams who were not the Boston Bruins. The fact is, not one of the Bruins players so much as lifted a phone to call me with a complaint in this matter. Stay tuned on this one. A pretty significant event this week outside of the National Hockey League. In fact, it was in the Western Hockey League who have a plethora of their own problems right now. But Salt Lake City Golden Eagles forward Guile Fielder, one of the great minor league players of all time, probably the greatest, became only the second professional hockey player in history to attain a total of 1,800 career points this week. Of course, the first to attain that number, none other than Gordie Howe. Guile Fielder's in some pretty damn good company, I'd say. You know, I always wondered why Cleveland hadn't uh, received more attention from the National Hockey League and well in expansion. Back in the early 50s, uh, Jim Hendy owned the Cleveland Barons. Uh, actually applied to join the NHL as an expansion team, completely confident that his American League team could take on the likes of back in those days, the really bad teams like the uh, the Rangers weren't good, the Bruins weren't good, and the Blackhawks were awful. They were rebuffed at that time. Well, Nick Maletti, who owns the Barons now and the Cleveland Cavaliers of the National Basketball Association, wants to build an arena uh, in Richfield County, which is about 20 miles out of town of Cleveland, but Richfield County doesn't want the arena, apparently. Well, they went to court on this, and Summit County Common Pleas Court Judge Frank Harvey cleared the way for construction of the $17 million Midwest Coliseum by uh, uh, affirming the approval of the Richfield Township Board of Zoning Appeals on September 8th. The Coliseum is to be built by Cleveland sports promoter, as we mentioned, Nick Maletti, and it will house both the Barons of the AHL with hopes of an NHL franchise coming and the NBA Cleveland Cavaliers. Plans call for the complex to be located on a 100-acre tract of land at Ohio 303 and Interstate 271, and they think the building's going to be open in time for the 72-73 basketball and hockey seasons. We'll have to see how this one proceeds. You remember Gordon Labossier? He was the first skater chosen by the Los Angeles Kings in the 1967 expansion draft. He's been traded around a little bit since then. Now property of the Minnesota North Stars, but he's playing for the Cleveland Barons of the American Hockey League. More Cleveland news. Well, this week, Coach and general manager John Muckler named Gord an assistant coach, a new position created just for Gordon, and he's going to continue as a player, but he's going to help Muckler as a coach as well. Could this be a leap, uh, uh, kind of a leaping off point to an NHL coaching career for Gord Bossier? He's well-respected and well-liked around the hockey world. We'll have to see if Gordon would enjoy doing something like that. Well, one of the great ones called it quit this week. Uh, I don't do a lot of, pay a lot of, not attention, I guess, but 
spend too much time on this one. One of the most popular, one of the greatest captains of the Toronto Maple Leafs, George Armstrong, announced this week his retirement. In fact, he announced his retirement for the fifth time this week. But he says this one's going to stick. Leafs general manager Jim Gregory, however, is hedging his bets. He has placed the chief on the Leafs reserve list, not on the voluntary retired list, just in case the team somehow runs short of NHL quality right wingers. Army would be there to jump right back in. But for now, George is going to take on the role of advanced scout. He's going to go to the future opponents of the Maple Leafs and compile reports so the team knows what to expect. We'll do a whole overtime session on George Armstrong at a later date. The trial of hockey player Mike Bloom of the St. Catharines Blackhawks, who was charged with striking a policeman after a game in Quebec City last spring, has been postponed or remanded, whatever you want to call it, to October 29th. Bloom was charged after a playoff game against the Quebec Rempire for the Eastern Canada Junior A title on May, May 8th exactly, was scheduled to appear in Sessions Court Monday. The court appearance was postponed because the defense had not yet received a copy of the judgment of Superior Court Justice Frederick Dorian, who was asked by Guy Bertrand, Bloom's lawyer, to refer the case to a higher court. Mr. Bertrand asked Mr. Justice Dorian last week to issue a writ of soteriori against the Sessions Court Judge Yves Sirois, contending the judge exceeded his authority in the case. The lawyer had asked Judge Sirois last June to drop all the charges against Bloom because the summons was issued against him in French and lacked details, but the judge refused the request and ordered the translation of the summons. Judge Dorian rejected Mr. Bertrand's request and said Judge Sirwa did not exceed his authority and acted wisely in refusing the demand by the defense that the charges be dropped. It's been quiet in Vancouver, at least regarding the money problems of their American owners, Metacor of Minneapolis. Got a little piece on it this week, though. Vancouver Canucks director Coley Hall, you've heard that name many times in the past, he confirmed this week that he has offered to loan Metacor $3.8 million to pay off the company's current debt to Capazzi Enterprises Limited. But Hall said that's that's nothing new. The offer was made a month or six weeks ago, but if they do, don't do something within a couple of weeks about this, then the offer's off the table. Capazzi Enterprises loaned Metacor $3.6 million at interest rates of a whopping 18% way back last June. Hall's offer carries interest rates of 10.5%, still pretty stiff. There is one stipulation, however, that Metacor must meet. The shares must be registered in the name of a trust company or a bank, and that's the only security, Hall says, that his group will require. The Detroit Red Wings made another big trade this week, and right involved with them was the California Golden Seals. 
They traded their leading scorer, leading goal getter last year, young right winger Tommy Webster to the California Golden Seals in exchange for defenseman Ron Stackhouse, former first round pick. And a guy last week, general manager Gary Young, said he absolutely wasn't going to trade. Now, you got to wonder a lot about these two teams. Why would the Red Wings give up a young player with Webster's scoring potential? And why would the Seals surrender probably their best young defenseman? Well, he's Carol Vatney is their best defenseman. He's a little bit older than Stackhouse. And if the Red Wings say they need defensive help, Stackhouse, a really good, good player, is an offensive defenseman and doesn't have a great skill on the blue line yet. He will probably learn, but the kid's only 21, I think. So why would they, why would these two teams make a nonsensical deal like this? Well, I'll tell you, this is what happens when you get two inexperienced, unskilled general managers hooking up for a trade. And you know what? At least it's entertaining for hockey fans, right? Hey, NFL fans, are you hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the National Football League, has you covered. New DraftKings customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game. And if they do, you win $200 in free bets. That's $200 in free DraftKings bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner, it's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use promo code THPN for the Hockey Podcast Network. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and you win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. You must be 21 years or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania. And this is for new customers only with a minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One free bet for, per customer. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. You got a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. As the week went on, we got some more uh, news from the Penguins. While Roy Edwards may be returning, the best player the Penguins have had on the ice this early season is going to be gone for up to six weeks, and that's veteran defenseman Tim Horton. The 41-year-old Horton learned on Friday that he's going to be out for six weeks with a broken ankle. And you got to wonder, at age 41, can Tim Horton even come back at all? from an injury like this. And Joe Crozier landed on his feet running the American Hockey League Cincinnati Swords franchise this year. We suddenly found out he's been in the hospital all week. Joe went in the hospital apparently on Tuesday, but the consulting doctor on the case, Robert Slagle, said it might be a few days before he's released. Slagle said the man 
has been putting in 18 hours a day and it's had a negative effect on his physical condition. He said he wasn't the main doctor in the case, but he'd been keeping touch on the doctors that are treating Joe and they're going to run a bunch of more tests on him. Punch Imlac, who's uh, Joe's boss, he's the general manager coach of the uh, Sabres and the Swords are the Sabres main farm team. Well, Punch said it was his understanding that it was a case of exhaustion. In Crozier's absence, Kiki Morton, the team captain, and veteran forward Reggie Fleming will take control of the team. A little more injury news, this from the Bruins later in the week. Left winger Don Marcotte's had a bad back. He hurt it in training camp. Well, guess what? He's going to have to have surgery, and he's going to be off for probably about eight weeks, and he'll probably need a lengthy time of rehab mixed in there as well and speaking of the brooms general manager milt schmidt accompanied his team on the road trip to california prompting speculation that uncle milty is working on a big trade now it's known the bruins want desperately to acquire california seals defenseman carol vadney but seals general manager gary young was asked about that and he put the rumors to that uh to the rest right away when he said I can tell you right now we're not trading Carol Vadnay there's no way he means too much to this club he's our captain he's our leader and at age 25 he's got everything it takes to be a great player and don't forget just a week ago Gary Young said the same thing about Ron Stackhouse I'm bet you I'll bet you by Christmas Vadnay's a Bruin or a Ranger or a Maple Leaf or even a Montreal Canadian. You know, uh, hockey is really spreading well in the United States. And here's a city, a city I always loved, by the way, that uh, I always wondered why the NHL wasn't looking at it more seriously because it's popular in San Diego, California. The Associated Press had a story this week about kids' hockey in San Diego. Uh, the story goes like this. Boys' hockey is sweeping the San Diego area like nothing since Knickers. The mania gets youngsters out of warm beds at 2 or 3 a.m., struggling through the massive chore of suiting up and squeezing into the only arena for amateur ice hockey at space available and it's expensive. While their mothers sleepy-eyed on cold benches, on the ice takes place a wild and noisy scramble of flying arms and sticks. A decade ago, only Little League Baseball was as popular in San Diego. The San Diego Amateur Hockey Association was formed with 16 members back in 1960. Today, there are 400 with that many more boys under 21 waiting to get in. That's right, they got a waiting list of 400 kids. While they wait, they fill the arena during afternoon public skating hours. The only way to get on the waiting list is if somebody dies, said Joseph Kazil, commissioner of the association. In its short existence, the association has sent two teams into the national playoffs. There are now Mighty Mites, boys 5 through 8 years old, the Squirts, who are 8 to 10, Peewees are 10 to 12, the Bantams are 12 to 14, Midgets 14 to 16, and the Juniors 
16 to 21, very similar to the uh, age groups we had in Ontario. The initiation fee is $90. Skates cost as much as 120 bucks a pair. Gloves, $30. A helmet, $10. A mouth guard, $1.50. Shin guard, $25. Shoulder pads, $15. Elbow guards, $10. And a stick, $5. Now, you just, uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you've seen the ads we put out for Canadian Tire. And I can tell you this, the best skates on the market in 1972 were CCM Tackaberry Skates, those were the skates that 95% of NHL players used, and they were $89.95 at Canadian Tire. They weren't 120 bucks a pair. Now, the season for this uh, San Diego Association started on September 11th, and it runs through March 26th. Last year, games began at 4 a.m. because of the crowded conditions. This year, the games are starting at 2 a.m., a local dentist, Leonard, Leonard Bloom, is president of a local corporation which owns the House of Ice in suburban La Mesa. He hopes a second rink can be built there someday. The popularity is explained by Bloom because hockey is, quote, a sort of controlled contact with emphasis on the individual effort and the team effort. Mr. Bloom says, sure, football's a team sport, but in hockey, as in track, there is more of a chance for the individual performance, he says. There is more skill involved in playing the game of hockey. And if you played the game, as most of my listeners, I'm sure, have, you understand that. The San Diego Gulls play their Western Hockey League games in the sports arena, which is reserved for professional activities, except for basketball games of the San Diego State College. As many as 12,000 fans turn out to see the Gulls in a part of the United States once believed a very poor risk for ice hockey. In sunny San Diego, the backyard pond never freezes over. So why have kids flipped up so much over hockey? Well, Jack Webb, 19 years old, says it's kind of ridiculous playing so early in the morning. His mother, Jean, says the inconvenience, though, it's worth it if it helps the children become better people. Now, these days, with all the negative stories going around hockey, things have been going on that really have been quite terrible. You wonder if hockey in uh, 50 years later, in 2021... Is helping the kids becoming better people. Okay, we'll continue with our warm weather hockey, uh, uh, I guess, thoughts this week. Now, this for this next story, uh, at first when I went over this, doing my research, I thought I was reading a prehistoric version of The Onion. But now this guy is absolutely serious. Bill Bosher of the Miami Herald explains to us a bizarre plan in Miami, Florida. With future Super Bowls obviously lost to Miami, as long as the present polyturf floor remains in the Orange Bowl, why not campaign for the Stanley Cup championships instead, rather than spend taxpayers' money junketing to Honolulu for the National Football League meeting in spring? City of Miami officials would save time and money with a simple phone call to Montreal. 
Clarence Campbell, president of the National Hockey League, could be advised that Miami boasts the only outdoor skating rink in the tropics. Beside, the weather in April is ideal, and the Orange Bowl Arena can hold 75,000 hockey buffs. The least Campbell could do was agree to a feasibility study paid for by the city of Miami, which has a passion for feasibility studies anyway. One more certainly wouldn't hurt. Think of all the Canadians who come to Florida in the spring. Their numbers at Gulfstream indicate that most Canadian tourists are horse players, but that's probably just incidental. The Canadian who scorns hockey risks the same dangerous classification as the Frenchman who ignores the vineyards of Chateau Ausson in France. While rooting for their Stanley Cup favorites, the Canadians would find Hialeah Racecourse a pleasant and different diversion in April. Hialeah is likely to welcome all the Canadians it can get. Gulfstream will be actionless by edict of the Florida Supreme Court, which recently awarded the winter racing dates to the Broward County track. The energies of the state's highest justice tribunal this year seem to be concentrated on horse and doggy schedules. Getting the poly turf into proper condition for the Stanley Cup should offer no insurmountable problems. Quarterback Jim Plunkett of the New England Patriots observed after last Sunday's Dolphins game that, quote, it's pretty tough to block when you're playing on ice. Plunkett, of course, was apologizing for his offensive linemen, victims of defensive infiltration to the extent that Plunkett was sacked seven times in passing situations. Dolphin defenders, for their part, had the notion that they could have dropped poor Plunkett a dozen times had they not skated past him over the blue line. We were around him all afternoon, but sometimes we just slid by, said Manny Fernandez, who's the Dolphins' defensive tackle. Now, of course, I was a little bit misleading. This this guy is not uh, is not serious about this. What he's getting at is the turf in the Orange Bowl is way too slick, way too slippery, and he says that the uh, Stanley Cup would be would be something that could be played rather than football in such a slippery slippery surface so the seed was planted in 1972 though football stadiums hosting hockey games at that time this this was just another goofy idea that somebody come up with to actually whine about the surface in a football stadium who knew that 40 or 50 years later maybe not even that I haven't done my math. Hockey in in the football stadiums turned out to be quite an event, although I must admit it's losing its luster to me now. All it is now is if it happens to rain, if it happens to be in a snowstorm, it isn't really that great to watch anymore, is it? I know I have a lot of Maple Leaf fans listening to this. Uh, We are in Ontario, and I'm a Maple Leaf fan, and that's okay. I get to have a favorite team, don't I? Now, earlier in the show, we told you that Harold Ballard wants to be president of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Maple Leaf Gardens Limited. Uh, We'll tell you what happened this week, and this is a very, very interesting story. Uh, We'll we'll give you the uh, story as uh, Dick Beddoes of the Globe and Mail tells it. This will be our final story this week. Uh, 
but it, it's a, a lot of a lot of insight into what was going on in the boardroom. Beto's is very, very, very connected. He has a a way of playing fast and loose with the actual facts, but then again, he always said he was a columnist, not a journalist. And uh, there's a, a distinction between the two. I will admit, but anyway. Beto's is, is, he knows what's going on. And I'm just going to give you his column because it's quite interesting and it does describe what happened. And then we'll tell you who's on the new board of directors when the smoke clears from all this. One week after Stafford Smythe died, the directors of Maple Leaf Gardens convened to pick a new president. They didn't waste any time, did they? The chap chosen to preside over the cash box on Carlton Street is new only in a manner of speaking. Harold Ballard was a unanimous choice to succeed Smythe, and you got to ask, who else? Not one of the other eight directors is dry behind a swivel chair as Ballard. In the 10 years since Khan Smythe departed, the Taj Mahaki he built has had two presidents, staff filled the position for eight and a half years, and George Mara for a year and a half, but no matter. The guy who hustled and promoted, who sold hockey the hardest, and played the liveliest tune on the cash register, that guy, yeah, it was Harold Ballard. Last Wednesday, Ballard's authority was challenged a few hours after his partner Stafford Smythe died. Con Smythe, Staff's father, was on the phone demanding to know why Ballard had ordered Maple Leaf Gardens closed and had postponed a game that evening with the Detroit Red Wings. Ballard quotes Smythe as saying to him, you got no guts. And Ballard, of course, asked, what do you mean I got no guts? Smythe replied, staff would have wanted the game to go on just like he was here. Ballard's reply, according to Ballard, and I doubt he really said this to Khan, by whom he was fairly intimidated, Ballard's reply allegedly is, well, staff's not here. He was my buddy and now he's gone, and out of respect for him, I'm closing the gardens for the day. Goodbye, Khan. Well, the gardens remained closed that day, and that game against the Red Wings was rescheduled for November 1st, which is on a Monday. It is fashionable in the biceps block to regard Ballard as a laughing operator with no particular sense of style. Yeah, it's a pretty accurate assessment, I think. Like most images, it does not always fit the mold. The correct thing, he believed, was to show a figurative half-mast for his ally of 30 years. Staff Smythe played left wing for the Toronto Marlboros when Ballard managed the junior subsidiary of the Maple Leafs. After Smythe returned from naval service in the Second World War, they collaborated in winning the Memorial Cup with the Marlboro Juniors and the Allen Cup with the Marlboro Seniors. When Con Smythe decided to sell his 60% interest in the gardens for $2 million, by the way, back in 1961, it was Ballard who arranged the loan through the Bank of Nova Scotia. That night, before the loan came through, Ballard remembers he returned late to his home in Islington. I tied up one on Pretty Excited, and I woke my wife up. A little bit uh, under the influence, you might say. Mrs. Uh, Ballard, uh, who has since passed away, 
simply said to, to Hal, you're drunk. Honey, Ballard said, I've just bought Maple Leaf Gardens. Mrs. Ballard sat up in the bed and said, you're not only drunk, you're also crazy. Beddoes writes that uh, crazy, it turned out, was like a 20th century fox. Little movie reference there. Hockey went into orbit after 1961, and Mike and Ike, as Ballard called himself and Smythe, had the game by the tail. The next morning, Ballard said, I was on the steps at the Bank of Nova Scotia at 8 a.m., and by 9.30, the loans department had authorized the $2 million, which we got by putting up our garden stock, as collateral. Staff Smythe was working in his father's gravel business, C. Smythe for Sand. Ballard reached him by phone. Staff, Harold here, are you standing up or sitting down? Staff replied, standing. Hal says, well, you better sit down or you'll fall down. We got the money, two mil, two big ones. Get down here and we'll sign the deal. So Ballard says that staff rushed right down there dressed in Mackinac and rubber boots and they did business with the Bank of Nova Scotia right on the spot. When expansion came in 1967 and we got $2 million for letting the new boys in the NHL, we liquidated our debt with the bank right on the spot. Now you remember what happened in the expansion. Maybe you won't. I'll fill you in on this. Each of the six new teams were to pay their $2 million entry fee to an individual of the six uh, pre-expansion teams. The Leafs' uh, $2 million actually came directly from the Philadelphia Flyers. But there's a story that goes along with that as well. On the day that was supposed to take place uh, in 1967, in early June, each club was to forward the check, the flyers, to the Maple Leafs. Something happened with the fax machines. Haven't we heard that in later days? Or phone transfers, actually, I guess it was in 1967. And they just got the check to Ballard and Smythe 5 p.m., actually about five minutes to five before the deadline, no one knew what would have happened. If the money wasn't coming, the team's franchise would have been put in limbo and Ballard and Smythe, who'd already told the bank they were paying off the loan, would have had at least a little bit of an embarrassing situation. But they got that $2 million and they liquidated the debt right then and there. Now, as executive vice president to, to, to or, uh, staff Smythe's presidency, Ballard struck lucrative deals. Smythe would have sold the TV and radio rights to Hockey Night in Canada for about $700,000 a year. Ballard sought and got $1.5 million a year. When Con Smythe sold out, there were 13,700 seats at Maple Leaf Gardens. After Ballard took charge, he expanded the seating capacity in the gardens to over 16,000. Purists considered such salesmanship crash, but shareholders were gratified by the size of the dividends. The best investment I ever made, John Bassett said, in effect, when Ballard and Smythe paid him $5.4 million this past September 1st for the 196,200 shares owned by his newspaper and broadcasting companies. The deal gave Ballard and Smythe 78% control of the gardens, and their agreement, Ballard says, was a two-way street. 
In the event of the death of either of us, the survivor assumed the other's liability. Ballard, therefore, was dealing from strength yesterday when the directors met in the executive session. Now, here's a little history for you. If you want to know who the directors of Maple Leaf Gardens were at this time, listen to this list. There is A. Campbell Burgess, a Toronto lawyer, Donald P. Giffen, president of Giffen Sheet Metals, Dr. J. L. Hall, T.D. Jeffries, president of Viceroy Manufacturing Company, Paul McNamara, president of Northgate Hotel Limited, Douglas H. Roxborough, who's the vice president of Allison Industry, Allison Industries Limited, and Dr. Hugh Smythe, the younger son of Khan. Ballard's strength was confirmed when Dr. Smythe nominated him for president. He's had a few telephone conversations with Con Smythe since staff's funeral, all conciliatory and pledging whatever cooperation the 76-year-old founder of the Maple Leafs can render. Moments after being confirmed as the president, Ballard's first order of business was to stand up and say, I'd like you all to stand with me and observe a moment's silence in Stafford's memory. The Smythe presence in the garden's hierarchy will be maintained by Dr. Hugh as vice president. Ballard's position as executive vice president is vacant and may be discontinued as assistant to the president probably someone from the hockey side of the gardens corporate structure will be named a little later paul mcnamara in the minority among directors who supported ballard in spite of an income tax issue still before the court's issue criminal charges McNamara is Ballard's choice for chairman of the board. There's going to be some other gradual changes as well with the Maple Leafs. Ballard might prompt Tommy Smite, the 25-year-old son of Stafford and manager of the Marlboros, to apprentice for the professional hockey by helping manage the Maple Leafs minor league affiliate in Tulsa. Ballard's older son, Bill, a law student at Osgood Hall, will be introduced into the organization at a little bit of a higher level than Tulsa. Higher executive duties may be ultimately pressed on Jim Gregory, the energetic general, general manager of the Leafs, and George Armstrong, who, of course, we just retired from active duty. He may get more executive work as well. Armstrong said, though, this is the first time that I've had help in retiring. Other times he just announced himself. This time they told George it was time. Now this is an awful statement that Ballard makes here. See, George is a scout and Ballard says, well, Indian scouts were always the best. But George's horizons are higher than that. He could become the first manager in the NHL possessing a native heritage. Ballard said, I feel challenged. I won't quit. I'm in it for the long haul. And at 65, he's not ready to sit around and listen to his arteries harden. So what did we learn from this very eventful week? It was packed with news. We got as much as we could into it. Well, we learned how the executive suite of the Toronto May Police is going to look following the death of Stafford Smythe. We had some news on the Nassau County Coliseum and uh, 
There's a lot of intrigue surrounding that particular rink. And we also find out that uh, a new rink is being built in Cleveland. Who's going to get that one, the WHA or the NHL? Or will anybody even want to drive 20 miles outside of Cleveland to go to a hockey game? And we heard that the city of Miami wants to host the Stanley Cup final. Of course, that was just a dream uh, based on how disgruntled one local sports writer was on the slippery service that covers the field in the Orange Bowl. So here are some of the stories we are working on for next week's show. We'll have a look at the early season work of the uh, Boston Bruins with word that, uh, as we've mentioned in this show, Milt Schmidt is looking to make some trades. We're going to talk a little bit about that as well this week. There's some things going on with Boston. They're not happy with the way the team is playing, and so there could be changes in the offing, and we'll tell you what those might be. We will have a very interesting little story from Jim Proudfoot of the Toronto Star on a trade that misfired for the Maple Leafs in the mid-60s that still continued to haunt them back in 1972. And we will tell you about the National Hockey League Board of Governors meeting in Florida that takes place next week and uh, whether they will make some decisions on how the league is going to approach its next round of expansion. That's all next week on the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole. Can't thank him enough for all the hard work he puts into this thing. Uh, Andy produces podcasts professionally. If you're interested in putting something together, get a hold of me and I'll hook you guys up. The intro and exit music for this show is provided by the Rural Alberta Advantage, a very well-known Toronto uh, indie rock group. If you ever get a chance to see them play live, don't miss the opportunity. They put on a great show. Other musical pieces and sound effects are created by Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from files from the Toronto Star, the Toronto Globe and Mail, and all the fine publications found at the newspapers.com website. You can find us on Twitter at at Hockey50Years and on Facebook under the 50 Years Ago in Hockey banner. We have a WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com, and you can download the podcast through your favorite podcast app, or every week you can listen to it right here on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thanks again to everyone who tunes in every week, and on that note, we will see you next time.